the fans were brilliant. Very few of them asked for any refunds on their season tickets. Jake came to me and said um, the players would accept a 20% cut. Players would be tested twice a week, £100 per player per test. The player's contract is nothing like the conventional contract that you get for doing any other job. The season after we got relegated from the Championship, we made a massive loss. So Manchester United let me use the boardroom. He said, what's that, Mr Chairman? I said, it's a, it's a buzzard, Jimmy. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the In Brother Words podcast. Uh, we've got a very special guest today uh, to tell us all about running a football club during a pandemic. Uh, it's the Burton Chairman, Ben Robinson, MBE. Ben, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, nice to be with you. Good, good. Thanks for coming on. So before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of the football stuff, how have you been uh, dealing with the lockdown personally, getting through getting through these days? Yeah, OK. I mean, um, um, go back to March and uh, it's incredible, isn't it? You know, next month and it's a year, you know. And uh, so I think, like, one needed to be philosophical about it, you know, and... Uh, if you could be strong and, and, and you know, focused uh, and accept that um, it's a terrible situation. Um, but um, a lot of people out there are facing far more challenges and problems than, than I've had to face, you know, um, in their everyday lives, um, losing, you know, loved ones. A friend of mine was an accountant, sadly died of COVID recently, but he had some underlying health conditions, you know, um, so, um, yeah, so a bit of time, obviously, when we were locked down completely. I live in a lovely village, you know, with lots of um, walks, you know, in the forests and the woods and what have you. Um, and also one of my pastimes was um, studying birds, right? Obviously, the feather variety, of course. And uh, <laughs> I remember Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, when he, um, when he first came um, um, to Burton and... Um, he, he was training up at St George's Park, and I very rarely go up there to watch them train, you know. Anyway, there's this bird appeared with a big wingspan above the forest, you know, and um, above the trees. And he said, "He said, what's that, Mr Chairman?" I said, "It's a, it's a buzzard, Jimmy." I said, "Have you never seen a buzzard in Holland?" He said, "No, no, no." I said, "Well, I'll let you into a little secret." I said, it was, "When I was growing up as a young man, right, I, I uh, two of the subjects that I studied." was ornithology and oology. So he turned to his colleagues and said, the chairman studies oology, you see. And obviously, <laughs> he, he thought it was something. And I explained to him, no, I said, obviously ornithology, Jimmy, you'll know, is the study of wild birds. And oology is the study of birds' eggs, you see. So oh, <laughs> a bit of <laughs> useless information for you there. Yeah, it keeps you busy. <laughs> <laughs> so if we go back to uh, March 2020 then, Ben, so the first lockdown um, mm. and the season, the League One was then postponed sort of indefinitely, wasn't it, at that, that stage? So what yeah. were your yeah. first feelings when you heard heard that? And then also, how did you deal with the changing rules and regulations? Things were changing on a weekly basis at that point, weren't they, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, OK, so as a club, we've got a very good, strong structure, you know, that's... Um, Head and in tune with legislation uh, and, uh, uh, and and all the compliance procedures, you know. And obviously, back in March, I think a lot of people felt that this was going to be a matter of a few weeks, you know. And then we'd be back to normal, you know. Um, 
But we didn't take that view. We took the view, the pessimistic view that, come on, guys, you know, this could be, um, this could go on for a long, long time, you know. So we set our stall out back in March in, in terms of looking at the financial, potential financial impact on our business, you know. Um, and so I, um, at that time, um, um, I, I had a dialogue with um, Jake Buxton, who was the captain. I had a chat with him and obviously we discussed the considerable financial pressures that the pandemic would bring to, to our club and to the sport, you know, um, with the prospect of, of um, no income from the gate receipts, mm-hmm. um, also no income for the commercial activities, because obviously um, the commercial activities, I'm not just talking about sponsorship and advertising, I'm talking about uh, seminars, functions, weddings, Christmas parties, mm-hmm. all the events that take place upstairs in, you know, and in the in the great banqueting facilities that we've got. Um, and obviously a, a contribution of the profit from those areas supports also supports the first team budget, you know. Mm-hmm. So Jake was very good, you know, he 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 saw that um that the position that was that we're going to be in. So over a period of time he spoke to the players and um and said to me that, that um, well, there was talk of should it be deferrals or should it be wages cuts, you know. And obviously, you probably know that the player's contract is unique. You know, the player's contract um, is, 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 is nothing like the conventional contract that you get for doing any other job, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it gives the players um, a lot more security. It's clearly defined, you know, um, in terms of employment law. And so after quite a bit of discussion, Jake came to me and said, um, the players would accept a 20% cut if I could guarantee for the next four months, so that was April, May, June and July, that they would get 80% of their money. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look back at that time, there was a lot of um, uncertainty you know, about clubs surviving, about clubs being able to pay um, the, the players' wages. Um, and that's that was the start, obviously, of our discussions. And then uh, it was a question when the furlough scheme um, was introduced, obviously maximising the furlough scheme. Um, obviously, um, the government came up with um, loans um, which were interest-free for the first 12 months. So we took advantage of that. So what we wanted to do was build up a bit of chest, really, of cash to see us through this difficult period, you know. Um, and then moving on, um, obviously, f- uh, further down the line, well, well, certainly before the end of the season, the, the fans were brilliant. They, very few of them, asked for any refunds on their season tickets for the matches that didn't get played, you know, from March to May. Um, and then move on to the summer, and um, two-thirds of our season ticket holders renewed their season tickets and vice presidents, um, on the understanding that I um, guaranteed that for every match played behind closed doors, if they asked for it, right, then, you know, we would rebate. Mm-hmm. And today, none of them um, have asked for any rebates. You know, they <clears throat> wanted us to support the club. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, there's still time that that could happen, you know, but that was a great gesture by the fans. Um, similarly, um, our main shirt sponsor, Press Tech, they said that we'll continue to support you, Ben, you know, even though we might not get to watch the games. Um, and a number of other companies um, have also 
followed them and, and given us support, um, even though they're advertising, um, it's not being shown before the fans. Okay, it's been shown and I follow the games that have been screened, but not in front of a live audience. So. Okay, and uh, was all the in terms of all the new regulations that were coming in, um, in terms of you know the testing and things like that, was that yeah. all being was that all being channeled just to yourself, or then it was your responsibility to then filter that out for the rest of the club? How did that work structurally? Yeah, well, I think um, obviously the um, the EFL, um, the board, they they decided that they didn't want they wanted to introduce um, um, a testing structure but they didn't want it to impact and, and cause any pressure on the NHS. So they went to a company um, who said that they could deliver the testing procedure for all, all the 71, 72 clubs in the league um, and um, at a cost. And I think at the time, the cost was £100, I think, £100 per player per test. Mm. Um, you know, that's how it started. Obviously, more recently, it's great to see the PFA... Um, gives the financial support to say that, uh, that you know the players will be tested twice a week and they'll pick up the tabs. Okay. Um, so last season then, um, the League One, uh, and I say it was postponed indefinitely and then uh, early June it was voted to end the season or early um, and decide the final positions on a points per game system. So was that yeah. something that you were um, completely in favour of from the start or was it... Because I know the timing of that in terms of it coming in in June that's yeah. quite relevant, isn't it, in terms of June 30th mm. is quite an important date, isn't it, in terms of contract yeah, yeah. ends and most clubs, their financial statements also end at that time as well. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think what you saw there was that no matter which um, procedure the EFL board adopted, they they couldn't, it was impossible to, 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 to satisfy every individual club's best interest. Mm-hmm. And, and so, of course, in that in that in that in that process, we saw, understandably, that certain clubs put forward their arguments, their interpretation as to how they would have dealt dealt with the situation. And 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 again, understandably, it was based on self interest. The fact that you know they'd look at the position and say, "Well, I get that. What's best for our club? You know, which scenario is best for our club?" You know, so it's a difficult decision, but I think the one that they came up with in the end was the, f- the fairest decision. And really, you know, it didn't give them, there weren't too many options that they could address, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, the start of the season as well, um, the uh, 72 became the 71 with, with very sort of yeah. developing league. Um, there was also yeah. a risk of, of Bolton going the same way. They were sort of saved yeah. at the last minute. Um so how how do you sort of avoid becoming another Bolton or another another Berry um, if you're in charge of the football club these days? Yeah. Um, well, I um, I think I think probably um, um, maybe if you look at, at um, the clubs that have sadly experienced extreme financial pressures, then invariably it all comes down to the inappropriate spend on the first team. Yeah. You know, um, um, having um, a budget that um, that wasn't sustainable. I remember <clears throat> going back when I first got involved in my club in February 75 as a young director. Um, 
I, I, was, I felt so privileged and proud to be invited as a, a 30 year old to be invited onto the board as the youngest member on the board. Most of the, the other guys were a lot older than me. Um, and uh, we had a great run in the FA Trophy. In fact, um, Peter Swan I saw, died recently. I don't really have followed Peter Swan's career at all, but uh, yeah, very sad. Peter Swan uh, was the player manager of Matrock Town. Okay. He used to play for Sheffield Wednesday. And him, I think it was Bronco Lane, um, they were playing um, for Sheffield Wednesday um, many moons ago. I'm, I'm, I can't remember the year now, but they were playing a team, I think, away from home, I think. But they had lots of injuries, Sheffield Wednesday, and and they felt there's no way they were going to beat this team, you know, based on their injuries, you know. And, um, and so they placed a bet on Sheffield Wednesday losing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to you want, you know, Google this, you'll see the story, yeah. really sad. And of course, so um, Peter Swan, who was a great player, um, I think the court case surrounded the time when he would have, you know, been a prominent player in the England squad, but that went all out the window because he was, he was banned for life, signed die for life, you know. Wow. And the thing was that I think they were going to win like a hundred pounds or something stupid, you know, is it, it wasn't life changing. Um, it, it was just, the, and, I, and I think the suggestion was that they were doing it because they knew they weren't going to get a win bonus or a draw bonus, you know? Um, and uh, okay. You can say, well, the rules are the rules and the spirit is, you know, why would you, why would you want to, um, to bet against your team winning no matter what the odds, you know. Uh, and that was very sad. So he was the player manager for Matlock. And you'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm telling you in this story in a minute. So um, we, we went over on the train to Matlock and um, I remember sitting there, it's, it's obviously it's lovely Peak District country. And one minute it was on the hills, it was raining and then it was snowing and then the sun came out, you know. Anyway, we beat them 1-0 um, and... Um, and then in the second leg, like two weeks later at Eden Park, our old ground, um, we were all buoyed up thinking, you know, we're going to go to Wembley. I mean, you could imagine a little club, Burn Albion. We'd be playing then in the Southern League. Yeah, Southern League. And um, we have people like Ian Story Moore playing for us, um, Peter Ward, um, you know, Peter Ward, who, who was sold to Brighton and then Brighton's on to Forest, play for England. Um, and we um, we lost 2-0, right? And obviously, that was a great lesson for me because I, I was so down, dejected, that I, I, um, I said I would never let um, a football result ever affect me in the way it did. And, yeah. and then the following year, I, I became the chairman. I was 31. And the first thing I had to do <clears throat> was to um, to get rid of the manager not because he was a bad manager, but because we couldn't afford him. And as well, we couldn't afford his team because that team had been built up around getting to Wembley. Right? And had they got to Wembley, it would have been fine, but um, um, they, couldn't they couldn't sustain that team and the, 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 the club owed the Vatman money, they owed the taxman money. And obviously I had to restructure. And, and we, um, I got a player manager, Phil Waller, that came in um, and... Um, Cut the budget right back to the level that was that was sustainable. So I think the thing is, and obviously that's something I learned then, and that still applies now. You know, I think we've had really one hiccup in all my time, really, and that was um, 
the season after we got relegated from the championship, we made a massive loss. Mm-hmm. Even though we had uh, in the players' contracts um, the fact that they be um, the relegation clause, so if we got relegated, their money would drop. But we still had a budget that was too big for the size of our club and what have you, because that's one of the sad things, really. That d- despite the remarkable success that Nigel Clough and other managers have brought to the town and the team of Burn Albion, um, it's not always um, shown. Um, uh, all the time, you know, a, a massive financial um, reward. Now, let me correct that by saying that obviously when we play Manchester United, it did because we earned an absolute fortune. It paid off the debt on the stadium, um, you know, and um, uh, and so th- I think this is the thing really that obviously, particularly for new people getting into football, you know, who are businessmen who've not who've, who've not grown. Um, in the in a football environment, business-wise, then sometimes they get carried away, and um, they, they they give the manager too much money to spend on buying players uh, and having a first-team budget, and 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 don't get the success that they're aiming for, and then that's when there's a problem when they can't pay their liabilities, you know, um, and um, that's probably you know, that's where it stems from primarily. Yeah, certainly a business unlike any other, isn't it? So um, you've been with Burton, like I say, for years and years, and you've seen them mm. a non-league club all the way through to being a league club. Um, yeah. so last season, and it looks potentially like this year as well, the non-league football pyramid was actually just voided, and, and the season yeah. was not avoided. Um, yeah. What's your opinion on that? And do you, do you see the non-league game as being sort of unsustainable in, in these circumstances? Yeah, I think the thing is, well, it's all right because obviously um, we in the football league we we weren't able to have any fans in, and I was arguing, no, <clears throat> you know, um, so smaller clubs, right? Um, they can have what three hundred, six hundred fans, and we couldn't even have a thousand. So I couldn't even um, try and compensate uh, most of my season ticket holders, right? Um, and we all know that obviously the, the the protocols that we have to adopt. I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about um, match day stewarding and all the reporting and the procedures that we have to embrace. Right? Um, the non-league clubs don't have to follow. Mm. You know, it's a lot more relaxed what they have to go through. And so I, I didn't get that at all. You know, and I lobbied for that. And uh, and then we were going to have a game with a thousand fans and. Obviously, the COVID um, situation you know, got worse, sadly, and so the you know the, the game you know the game was um, so was, there was no spectators. Um, obviously, in the current situation, um, then I think obviously the government probably felt that having allowed the smaller clubs to have fans, um, I'm you know I'm certain that there were instances where the social distancing probably wasn't applied as it should have been. Um, and um, and they've had some support from the government. I don't know whether the support that the government's talking about, I think the latest one was a £10 million package. I don't know to what extent, you know, um, how much that would touch um, and um, uh, affect individual clubs' financial stability. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's a step in the right direction, you know, um, and it should help them to some extent. Um 
And and I think that's why you're seeing now that there's, there's reluctance to let, you know, any fans into elite sport because we've seen the statistics, you know, the, the, the infection rate was increasing rapidly, alarmingly, you know, so were the people suddenly dying. And all that was causing immeasurable pressure and heartache, you know, for our hospitals, you know. So, and the government didn't have a choice, but but to, to rein um, um, that in and obviously to apply more restrictions, you know. So um, that was important. And it is what it is, really, that we've got this vaccination come in and I'm sure um, we hope eventually that that will, that will get to grips with um, the problem. But you just wonder, looking ahead, that maybe some people, some families, you know, um, will take a... A different view that they won't maybe won't want to go out, you know, amongst big crowds mm-hmm. for some time to come, you know, until until we say, well, nobody's got it, you know, it's not a yeah. problem. Nobody's got it, you know, and um, and everybody's been um, vaccinated, and therefore, you know, um, it, we're we're living in 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 a safe environment. Yeah, I think um, I think Burton will definitely reap the benefits of having such uh, great facilities as well, because obviously the grounds, you know, with it being so open um, and so you know such a modern stadium uh, for mm. the league, I think um, I think you're yeah. set up nicely, aren't you, for for when they do allow fans, you know, back into the stadiums. Yeah, we are. Yeah, because um, yeah, we are. Um, I mean, it's only probably the two concourses that um, where the seats are occupied. You know, to get access to your seats other than the vice presidents. Here again, you know, they're not that that can be that can be monitored, that can be managed and 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 marshaled, you know, adequately. And like you say, it's a modern stadium, lots of space, you know. And obviously, um, we, we've um, we're delighted that we've been able to help the community by well, initially um, having la- having um, COVID testing here, and then obviously followed by la- the lateral uh, rapid testing, lateral testing. And then since December, it's been operating as a vaccination centre as well. You know? And um, and so the, I think they're now on to dealing with the people over 70s, you know, and uh, so that's working really, really well. And, uh, and somebody said to me, you know, what, well, I think it's so important that we built the stadium. That's why we built it as a community facility. And I think that this sad pandemic is, is just proof that um, it's a focal point for the community. You know, it's lots of space big car parks as the focal point, you know, and I'm, I'm delighted that being able to put that facility for free for the um, the primary care trust, working with the NHS uh, and the local GPs in East Staffordshire, being able to use it to have all their patients vaccinated. Amazing. That's great. So just um, fast forward a little to, um, to now, so the present. Um, yeah. Could you tell us just a little bit about what procedures are in place at the moment, um, you know, in terms of match days and stuff? So how regularly are the players being tested? And also, do chairman, members of the board, etc., do they get to attend games or is it strictly just players only at the moment? Yeah, OK. Right. So um, in terms of the first team, the first team um, are now tested on a Monday and a Friday. Right. And those tests are taken to um, a point in Leicestershire um, by our staff. And then probably by tea time, we get the results. Um, And that's obviously the first team squad and um, the staff working with the first team. Um, The county council came up with a plan recently inviting major employers in the county 
to carry out their own lateral testing for free. So they would give you the kits, right? So our community trust, which is a great charity, does phenomenal work. They've been delivering all the support for the vaccination centre and the testing being done, you know, um, through the NHS. And um, so we've got our own facility now. So our staff have been trained to, to provide testing, um, lateral testing for everybody else, all the office staff, everybody. And um, for example, tomorrow we're at home to Hull. Um, and so uh, everybody that comes in tomorrow is going to get tested, including all our board members, you know, uh, well, all four or five of them that's coming anyway. So, um, yeah, so in terms of attendance, um, I was driving down um, to um, Gillingham for our away match. I got a phone call from Paul Scally. He said, Ben, I presume you've set up. I said, yeah, yeah I'm you know, probably about an hour away, you know, Paul. And he said that um, he that day he, he wasn't going to the game. He told all his directors that, you know, in view of the um, infection rate down there, it was prudent to not to go to the game and that they wouldn't be going to away matches. And I get that and I, I follow that, you know. So um, so as far as tomorrow's game is concerned, I've got two people from all. Um, I think it's, a commercial, it's the ch uh, chief executive and um, a commercial um, person. And, um, and then um, just probably four or five, including myself and my home directors, but with no guests, you know, our wives and partners, you know, no, no family members. Um, and then obviously a handful of press and a handful of scouts and then the players and that's it, you know. So if you've been um, still attending games, um, how have you found it without fans there? Is it quite weird? Yeah, it's strange, really. It's, you know, it's, it's strange, you know. And <laughs> it's, well, I mean, you know, if you think about pre-season friendlies, unless you're playing like, you know, Manchester United or Real Madrid, <laughs> you know, most pre-season friendlies are, you know, um, I remember years ago at the old ground, probably 30 years ago, we played Nottingham Forest. It was a testimonial game as well. And we had quite a good support there, but it, you know, and when you consider, the, you know, the Brian Clough bought the first team, I mean, Justin Fashion, who played, so he played mm -hmm. for them, you know, that's how long ago it was with all the top Forest players and uh, supportive one of our players, um, testimonial, you know, and it was well attended, but it wants to sell out, you know. And so it's a bit like, I think, the pre-season games that, um, you know, that um, it, that, that um, obviously is part of a build to the start of the season. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, you miss the... I mean, I've always felt that um, the atmosphere that the fans create, you know, I remember at the old ground, we used to talk a lot about um, in the Northern Premier League, the teams coming from the North. The teams from the North, they, they, you know, their support was phenomenal. You know, they used to get behind the team, whether they were losing or winning, you know. Um, and then also the home fans, um, there's a guy um, who used to sit at the back of the stand, you know, and uh, I think that day um, um, the referee was Mr Hyde, you know, and he would quip to the game, you know, well, uh, we've got Mr Hyde, where's Mr Jekyll, you know? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've got this banter that goes on, uh, which is great, and... Uh, yeah, and of course you just obviously it's interesting, isn't it? You know, I'm I'm a chairman, I'm not a coach, I'm not a manager, but it's interesting how that affects a player's performance. You know, presumably some players do need a crowd or need the crowd to get on the back to do certain things or achieve certain things, maybe, you know. And uh, 
but it's certainly very strange, very different, you know, but obviously it's just something that um, is happening and we just say, well, that's what it is. And there you go, you know, so. Yeah. Well, we've um, probably should say that we actually have been to quite a few Burton games and um, in the old era and in the new era. So, um, our auntie Kate and our uncle Pete. We've got to give them a shout out because they'll be watching this. Um, Who's that then? Who's that? That was yeah. Kate and Pete. Pete. They're big. They're big. Um, Burton Albion. Wagstaff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Their name's Wagstaff, and uh, they're good friends with Phil Brown, one of the directors. Yeah, I know Pete. Pete. Yeah, Kate. Yeah, because they. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they go. Uh, they're big friends of uh, Phil. Um, Phil Brown, aren't they? And his yeah. wife. Yeah. And uh, they yeah, go to. We've been in Phil's box a few times, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. They, um, you know, as a company, cannot they've they've got uh, box four, and they've continued to support us. You know, with advertising and what have you. You know, um, and um, and sadly, you see, because the, thing, the other thing as well during this whole scenario is that, and you know that obviously when the time restaurants could open, you know, and um, and pubs can open, and um, or say pubs could open if they serve food, you know. Uh, and and sort of we argue well you know we've got all these boxes you know <clears throat> what's the difference really they're they're, they're restaurants you know what I mean and um, and uh, and obviously we never got to the point where they could come in have a meal draw the curtains saying what's the match on the telly you know we never got to that point that's what we were hoping to achieve yeah. you know something never happened you know so. Yeah, no, so you say you've been here. You know, did you ever get, go to the old grounds? Yeah, so we, we watched a few games at Eaton Park back in the day in the sort of Darren Stride, Aaron Webster, that sort of era. We actually went to the, the two Man U games you were talking about. Um, and then, yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. As well. I can tell you our first game was, um, was the goalkeeper called Duke at the time? Matt Duke, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he scored. He scored from a goal kick, didn't he? Can you remember, Rob? That was our yeah. first ever game at Eaton Park, uh, Eaton Park the yeah. old ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, I'll tell you, um, um, I think it'd be Nigel. I think it was Nigel Clough as a manager then, wasn't he? And I think mm-hmm. we played Barrow somewhere. And um, and as it said to me, oh, um, you know Neil Warnock really well. Um, can you ring him up? So I phoned Neil, and that's how we got Matt Duke on loan. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's that's how he came on loan. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, no, I mean the um, obviously. Um, Football creates some fantastic memories, and I've got some great memories. You know, uh, meeting Pele and what have you, watching him play with Eusebio back in '66. You know, wow. but um, talking about Manchester United, um, I remember when um, that the um, we 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 played Bursko, didn't we, in the second round? Do you remember? And uh, um, and they were the smallest club left in the competition. Right, and we were in the conference then, weren't we? Football conference, yeah. So every Sunday, my mum has passed away, sadly, who I owe so much to. I'm, I'm where I am today, down to my mum, mum's hard work, and also my stepfather, Frank, who she married when I was seven. And so every Sunday, I go and see her, I'm a tea. And, um, um, and um, on the, uh, the game on the Saturday against Bursco was cancelled because the pitch was waterlogged. So I said to my mum, I said, Mum, I said, um, it's coming up on the television and there's going to be the draw. Um, and then um, then she fell asleep. Uh, and when she woke up, I was able to tell her, <laughs> if we beat this team on Tuesday, <clears throat> excuse me, get a bit emotional, huh? <clears throat> that we were going to play Manchester United, you know. And so we played Manchester United on the Sunday, four o'clock kickoff, live on Sky. <clears throat> and I remember... Um, um, there was a problem because some of the Manchester United fans, fans, they, let me a call, but they, 
they managed to produce some forged tickets. Remember that? No. Yeah. And so I, I, I got called away to go behind the, the goal where the Manchester fans were. And there were some young, young, youngsters, really youngsters, and they were in tears and they were really upset, you know. Anyway, listen, there's only a handful. And um, and so uh, we got them in, in another part of the ground. But, um, um, and I uh, I said to the steward, what's the score? And, uh, and he said, nil, nil, you know. <laughs> I was expecting him to say, well, we were losing two, whatever, you know. So, yeah. I mean, it was a remarkable performance. And then, um, and, and David and Goliath, wasn't it? And then, and then Mr. Mr. Ferguson, who is who is a great ambassador for the small clubs, you know, and what have you, um, a supporter of. Um, and then he chose to bring Rooney and Ronaldo on um with 35 minutes to go, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and then we managed to hold out, you know, it was, it was a tremendous performance, and Nigel could put that team together, and obviously he created a great team spirit, you know. Um, and then of course in the replay, um um, a Wednesday night again live on BBC. Remember the first game? Ken Merritt was the secretary, um, and you have to agree the date of the replay before an FA Cup game. You know, you see, and I said replay. What do you mean? I said, you know, we're going to struggle to be you, the team, yeah. part team, and your resources. You know, and uh, and he was talking about the importance of the date of the replay being on the television. You see, I said, well, I thought. You only got on the television um, when the the uh, producer thought that the chance of an upset, you know. So, yeah, and so it just tells you the you know the the, the mighty pull of Manchester United worldwide, doesn't it? You know, um, yeah. what what what's it? You know, what what a product that is, and that um, if we managed to get a draw, then the replay, even at Old Trafford, was going to be on the television, you know. And so, um, uh, so we. Um, we, we took 126 coaches at Old Trafford, um, yeah. 11,000 fans. They had to keep extending the allocation, you know. Um, and I think it's still a record there um, under those circumstances, you know. And, uh, okay, I think we lost, was it 5 nil or something? But, you know, it was a great occasion. Um, and I, I, I recently attended, or a few months ago, uh, sorry, before, just before the, um, the lockdown, I attended the funeral of Bill King, who was the chairman then of the conference and went on to become the president. And and, um, and in the eulogy, he said that um, he remembered the day Manchester, Bird Albion played the replay Manchester United because they had a, a, a football conference board meeting. So Manchester United let me use the boardroom right, for, uh-huh. their, for their board meeting. Yeah. And then they'd and entertain them at the game. And also... I think I had 10 directors then um, and um, they allowed me to in, invite the wives. All right? And they gave us the boardroom and uh, they were amazing. The hospitality and the warmth, the friendliness. Because, you know, it's been said that occasionally in football, you know, um, you know, um, the, sometimes the bigger clubs, there's a bit of elitism, you know, a, bit, a little bit of snobbery, you know, uh, but they were wonderful. It's amazing. And they got their photographers to come and take pictures. So we've got some fantastic memories, you know, of those two games that uh, obviously we've been sharing, you know, with our grandchildren. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. So I think what we'll yeah. do is we'll ask you um, our final question, um, which is what we ask all our guests. And that yeah. is, um, if you could go back in time and speak to the 18-year-old version of yourself, what advice would you give? I think nothing's changed there, really, because I, I was brought up um, 
um, I did an interview recently for Repton, you know, Repton School, yeah? Yeah. Well, not the school, but the village of Repton. They've started their own radio station. And that was going back to my school days, starting my school days, business, school days, business, you know, and football. And I think basically it's nothing changed really, which is, you know, your parents bring you up um, to to what? To, to, to work hard, to be honest, you know, and I know... Listen, in business, everybody in business, I use the term ducks and dives. I'm not it's, I'm not talking about cheating. I'm talking about ducking and diving, you know, um, with effect, you know, and not mm-hmm. being dishonest or cheating. Um, and have that, that ethic, you know, of working hard. And because uh, I, I think, I think that my, what I've said to youngsters is that, you know what, if you, if you believe in yourself and you work really, really hard, not just today, but each and every day of your lives, then, you know, almost anything is possible to achieve you know those, those goals that you set if you work hard and um, treat yourself in that time then and listen to the people around you um, that um as mentors that have been there experienced it and they can share with you their experiences the mistakes they made how they dealt with them how they reacted to them you know and 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 and, that, and, and also uh, as as in life you learn all the time you know you never get to a moment in life where that you don't want to take and accept uh, new knowledge, you know, and, uh, and that's important, you know, that um, that we every day we can learn something new in our lives, you know, and uh, never get to the point where we've learned everything, and then um, we stop listening to other people around us. So, absolutely amazing. Right. Well, thank you for that, Ben. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to invite you when we can, and then we can catch up. And uh, lovely to see you again, both. Okay, you take care. Thank you, Ben. See you later. Thank you very much.